Good morning. Uh, was Jesus born? Yes. He lived 33 years? Yes. Did he love? I'm not sure on that one. Did he teach? Yes. <clears throat> Did he prove who he was? Did he lay down his life? Did he walk out of that tomb? Yes. Yeah, he did. He did. He did. He did. Which leads me to artificial intelligence. <laughs> you can see the leap I made. Are you interacting with artificial, artificial intelligence at all? Are you, are you, have you used like uh, 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 an, an open forum like uh, uh, ChatGPT or GPT-3? These language models are accessing immeasurable, really, databases of information for knowledge. But the power really is, at least in part, the contextualization of the words of a human interface in search of new patterns, concepts, connections in the data, so it can continue to refine its responses. It's fascinating. Fascinatingly terrifying in some ways, but fascinating nonetheless. It's, it's intriguing technology. It's a new wave. It's going, to, it's going to change the world in profound ways. Just like the printing press did, just like the internet did. It will change the world. It's coming. But it brings no hope, no promise of deep change to a broken world. It has no capacity to directly impact human flourishing. It has no way to heal your soul and bring about the masterpiece that God promises that you are. There's only one, or maybe there will ever, ever be one event that does all of those things. And the Christian church, along with us, across the country, around the globe, celebrate that event today. A construction worker from a backwater town called Nazareth after a, a meteoric rise in popularity due to his unparalleled teaching, eye-popping miracles, reluctant but dynamic leadership, and um, even being a wonderful friend to many, had a reversal of fortune, was brutally punished to death for crimes he didn't commit. And after being dead and buried across three days, shook loose the mortal coil and walked right out of the tomb. That event in history has the capacity to change the world in deep and profound ways and has changed it. It's a fact. It's recorded history. Just like the finishing of the great pyramids of Giza and the founding of Rome and whatever, the, the writing of the city of God by Augustine. Nearly everyone in this room embraces the resurrection as a historic fact. Bar Barna, Barna has done surveys, he says, up to 66% of Americans believe the resurrection happened. That's more people than go to church right now. There are unchurched people 
dare I say, even non-Christians who believe that profound and almost unbelievable fact. Why not? There are plenty of eyewitness accounts. There are written records that, that exceed the written records of many things that we know to be fact in history. And the women and men that are responsible for those eyewitnessing, eyewitness narratives have proven their character to be unassailable. Believing that the resurrection occurred in some ways may not even require faith. Some probably it's nice to believe too, but being a part of the eternal family of God, to, to be in the space of discovering who you truly were designed and created to be, requires faith. The writer of Hebrews says, without faith, you cannot please God. You don't please God by concluding that the resurrection occurred. You don't please God by concluding that God exists. It requires faith. Faith has got to be in play in the kingdom of God for God to be pleased. And if our faith begins and ends with the resurrection. Like it just, that's all that it's for is to believe that that is true. Then we will have completely missed the critical element of faith in the New Testament. The critical element of faith in the New Testament is not strictly about what occurred, but it's the application of what occurred means in this life. And that's not new in the New Testament. The application of faith has always been a thing in God's world. The resurrection, though, puts it into hyperdrive. What happened at the resurrection shows us and demonstrates things that we, fortunate, we, we could only stretch our imagination to even begin to understand. And, and they were brought to heaven, from heaven to earth in a way that is <laughs> life history altering. And when we put our faith in how that alters our life and our future, everything starts to change. When his disciples, when Jesus' disciples wrote about faith, you can, you can open your Bible pretty much anywhere in the New Testament and find this to be true. They, when they talk about faith, they weren't talking about the resurrection itself. Have you thought about this? That was a fact for them. <laughs> they knew Jesus before he was crucified and resurrected, and they knew him after. He stuck around for 40 days, showed himself to hundreds of people, no one was walking around going, do you believe he was raised from the dead? They were like, he's right there. That's a fact. It, it wasn't that when they talk about faith, it wasn't about the resurrection. It was about the consequences or the impact or the implications of it.
When they talked about faith, they said things like this. Faith without works is dead. Faith without application, faith, uh, the resurrection without some kind of um, movement of that reality in and through my life, he might as well still be dead. Faith, you could say the resurrection without faith, it's just a resurrection. Faith in the resurrected Jesus finds its fulfillment as it shapes human life. The resurrection was intended for something, and that intention includes you and me. You might say that since Jesus did rise from the dead to new life, through faith, you come to life. You are, when you exercise faith in the resurrection, dare I say, are born again. That phrase begins to make sense as something more than just a religious phrase. You're not born again into a new wardrobe, new language, and a new set of rules. It's much deeper and much grander than that. It's a new way of living in the world. It's a reorientation of your worldview. It's a transformation of your character. It's a new community. And Paul writes about it like this. You can find this in the book of Galatians. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me read that again. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, this new life of mine, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This verse speaks clearer and more powerfully of the transformative work of the risen Jesus in our lives and how over time through faith we're made new. Uh, let me explain a little bit of how that happens. First, through faith, God continues to form a new identity in the believer. Right? It says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Our identity is no longer found in our accomplishments, our possessions, our status. It's hard for the human mind, maybe, maybe the Western mind, to even imagine that. That you would be defined by something other than your possessions, your accomplishments, or your status. You know, Jesus spent his ministry years prior to the crucifixion and the resurrection doing things and demonstrating that he was the son of God. But he continued to tell people not to move, get the word out about it. 
Jesus didn't declare publicly who he was until, do you know this? Until everything had been stripped away from him. It was in that moment where he was no longer popular, Zobalorn being was, was not demonstrating any power, had no place that he said, yes, it's true, I am. That's where he stopped, but he was implying it. I am the son of God. <clears throat> That's a pretty ridiculous time to say that you're God. Do you see the point there? This, is, this would be like you uh, being fired from your job. And I, I know you've been there. And the next day, telling all your friends and family how amazing you are as an employee. That, that would be like uh, going through a divorce being cast asunder by someone that was formerly committed to you and you announcing to the world the next day how amazing you are as a spouse. We don't live there, right? When, we, when, when the accomplishments of our life have been taken away, when the possessions of our life have been taken away, when the status of our life has been taken away, when the relationships in our life have been taken away, is not when we feel at all good about ourselves. Why in the world, when Jesus had nothing to show for it, did he finally declare unequivocally that he was the son of God? The Son of God is the Son of God, irrespective of any accoutrements of this world. In fact, if he, if he did do it at the height of his power, Christianity would have forever connected power and Jesus, popularity and Jesus. It would have been equated, and it has nothing to do with any of that. He declared who he was when it was all gone because it has nothing to do with this world. Are you with me? Our identity is being reshaped through faith in Christ. And it's no longer in our accomplishments and our possessions and our status. We are loved, in fact, accepted by God because of what Christ has done for us, not because of anything we have done. This is a lifelong journey, not only to accept, but to allow to work out in our life by faith. We are haunted, haunted by this impulse that we are who we are because of the things we can gain in this world. By faith, God wants to change that. To have an identity in Christ rather than in the things of this world means that we have a security and a peace and a value that come by simply being cherished and loved by God. This was the joy of the early church most of whom had been convinced they had failed in some way or had no means to please God. And Jesus was telling this 
group of people that they were loved by God and accepted. How many of you feel that way about yourself this morning and need to apply some faith? How many of you look in the mirror and see someone that doesn't add up and assumes you don't add up in God's eyes either? By faith in Christ and the grounds of the resurrection, you can have the same joy as those in the early church. How many of you feel like you need that space today to stand in the assurance of Jesus' work of forgiveness, sit in the lap of a compassionate father who demonstrates his heart through Jesus and his utter lack of condemnation of you? How many of you this Easter morning need to see the forgiveness in the eyes of Jesus as he hung on the cross and the eyes of joy as he was coming out of the tomb? By faith, over time, you can have it. Faith changes our identity. It changes our priorities. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus encouraged us to prioritize the things of God above all else. He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where the thieves do not break in and steal. When we live by faith in Christ, our priorities shift from the things of this world to the things of God. We begin to prioritize spiritual um, things versus physical, material things. We, we start to prioritize an alignment with God's way rather than the way that seems right to me. Again, it, it, this, all, this seems often as impossible for our brains. How would you ever not do what seems right to you? Why would you ever do what's, not do what seems right to you? Well, when, by faith, God's way is different. Why would you ever go God's way when you see a way that's right? The only way is faith. By faith, we trust that our most meaningful life doesn't come by following the path toward our own rising, but by following one whose rising changed everything. We see this through the people of God throughout history, faith-filled, intentional, walking away from compelling but empty promises of this world and instead walking by faith according to God's priorities and purposes, which promise a surprising and unexpected and otherwise unknowable reward. Only by faith can you choose a pathway or, or first turn away from a pathway that guarantees some kind of reward for a path that does not guarantee, except by faith, something 10 times better. Are you with me? This is much easier to choose when you think, I know what I'm going to get for that. It's only a C plus, but I know I'm going to get it. This is, a, this is promising an A plus, but you can't quite guarantee it. You've got to move down that path by faith to enjoy the rewards that God has for you. Who among you needs to loosen their grip on the things that provide leverage and control and security in this life and instead trust the one who is in control 
in whom we do have security. Who needs that today? Yes, I see that hand, right? I see the metaphorical hands going up in the back. How many of you are tired of grasping for peace where it cannot be found and are ready this Easter morning to call on the Spirit of God through faith to reorder your priorities, to take the air out of the fear that drives you in those directions and instead breathe into you contentment and faith to walk in accordance with different priorities. By faith, you can have it, by faith alone. When we live by faith, with respect to the resurrection, changes our identity, changes our priorities, changes our perspective. When we live by faith, we no longer see the world through our own limited human perspective, but through God's perspective. Do you know that's possible by faith for you to see things the way God sees them? To see you the way God sees you, to see the world the way God sees, to see the problems the way God sees, to see the solutions the way that God sees them. Do you know that without faith you cannot see? Right. I had a friend who had to go to an extended um, rehabilitation through an extended rehabilitation, six months. He was gone in many ways. He didn't want to go because he couldn't see that there was a problem. You could see the problem this guy had from a mile away. He couldn't see it, but he went. Everybody around him said, look, you got to go. So he went. When he got back, how'd it go? It just took a while to get started. I was sitting with a mentor, second or third week, telling him how he saw it. (laughs) And the mentor said, yeah, but you don't see right. What do you mean? I could tell you, I could tell exactly. I know what you think you see. You can't see right. Until he accepted the fact that he couldn't see right, he made no progress. Until he trusted somebody else's perspective. One of my favorite movies is uh, Beautiful Mind with Russell, Russell Crowe. It was uh, psychotic, actually. He lived a life, with, uh, a very real life, but he also had people in his life that didn't exist. He interacted with them as though they were real people. And it wasn't until he accepted the reality that they were not there could he begin to get healthy. And what's crazy is for him, they were always there. But he finally began to believe those that loved him well when they said, what you see is not there. This is a great scene at the end of the movie where he walks out of his classroom. He was a professor. And a stranger walks up to him and introduces himself and says he needs to talk to him for a minute. And he turns to one of his students who understands him and his story. And he says, is that person really there talking to me right now? That's the extent of his life was he understood what he saw was not right. He needed other people to see it. That's us. We cannot see right 
without faith. We cannot have God's perspective without it, but with it, we can. You can begin to see right. How many of you are ready to put faith into action and stop listening to social media and movie scripts and cable news and podcast gurus to tell you how things are? What is beautiful and good and what has value and meaning? How, how many of you need to stop looking in the mirror to see who you are and instead ask God? How many of you are ready this Easter morning to put your faith in the word of God and into, uh, into copious amounts of, of, of reading the word and praying and inviting the spirit to show you what's true and what's real. How many of you are ready to put yourself in the midst of Christian community that can bring you wisdom and encouragement and grace and to remind you what is true by faith, by faith alone, you can have it. Faith also changes our power source. When we live by faith, we no longer rely on our own strength and abilities, but on the power of Christ within us. We are filled with the Spirit when we exercise faith in Christ. And the Spirit enables us to live the life God has called us to. These, these spaces in which faith presses you and draws you, even that cannot be done by you apart from faith and apart from the work of God in you by the Spirit. How many of you are ready to exercise faith and once and for all, accept your limitations and your insufficiencies intellectually, emotionally, even physically. <clears throat> I've, never, I've never suggested that I know everything. <clears throat> I do come across like I know every other thing. I've, what I've realized the older I get is I don't know very much at all. <clears throat> I've determined I don't even really know what you mean when you're talking to me. That I have so many limitations that I can't even really fully understand you when you're telling me about your life until I hear it nine or 10 or 11 times. At this stage of my life, when someone says, do you understand what I'm saying? I usually go, not, probably not. Trying. <laughs> I'm not even sure I even understand what's going on inside of me sometimes. Are you, are you ready to join me in a space of humility about what I know and what you know? A space of humility that accepts our limitations, our insufficiencies. How many of you are ready to exercise faith and start listening more than talking?
I'm so tired of talking. I used to struggle with prayer because I actually didn't always know exactly what I needed to say. And if I did think of what I said, it, it was fairly simple, and then I didn't know what else to pray. I, like, I don't know how, I didn't know how people pray for 20 minutes. There's like three things. I just need to mention those, and um, that's it. And then I realized, just shut up. Why are you talking so much? She took Mother Teresa's advice. Someone asked her, when you pray, what do you say? She said, I usually just listen. And when they said, well, what does God say when you're listening? She says, well, actually, he just mostly listens. A lot of listening. <laughs> A lot of listening prayer is good. So now I just listen. And I'm surprised at how much time goes by when I'm just listening to God and wanting to hear from him and exercising faith uh, and wanting to hear about my priorities and my ill-placed power and my uh, ill-placed identities. And if I just listen... I grow so much more than I do through what I think would happen through answered prayers, for example. Anyway, <clears throat> faith is an active move in which Christ begins to change and continues to change everything. Changes our identity, our priorities, our perspective, our power source. Faith is an active move away from being a child of the world and become a child of God with a new aim and a completely different strategy for life. You can believe in the resurrection and it just sits there as an event or you can apply faith in light of it and launch yourself with the, with the, uh, in cooperation with the Spirit of God and the forgiveness of Christ to transform your life and impact every area of our lives. If we're willing to stick with a life of faith, and allow God the time to help us gradually see. So let me, let me finish this. I, I used uh, ChatGPT to write an entire Easter message earlier this week. And it was good. It was real good. It was disappointingly very good. Mind-blowingly good. It required about a minute of my time to direct it in the, into, the, into the space that I wanted it to go with a particular emphasis. I sent it to Pastor Tammy. And first she was shocked that I had written it in the time that had lapsed since we saw each other an hour and a half earlier. Secondly, she thought it was good. Real good. <laughs> clear. Simple. I didn't quite know how to take that feedback. She was, yes, this is very clear. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. I like it. How would you feel if I told you that the entire Easter message that I just gave you was generated by a computer. I didn't, by the way, just because <laughs> I know how you feel about that. I didn't. Let me give you a couple things to think about, though. I asked 
chat GPT, it would be a good idea for me to take the Easter message that it had prepared for me and give it Easter morning. I said, Is it, would that be a good idea? I thought that was a sharp question. Here's what came back. I cannot make recommendations on whether you should directly cut and paste the responses I have provided you for your Easter message. It's important to consider the context and intended audience of your message and to use your own voice and style to communicate your message effectively. While the responses I have provided can serve as a starting point or inspiration for your message, it's important to tailor your message to your specific audience and to use your own words and ideas to convey your message in an authentic and meaningful way. Additionally, it is important to recognize that AI language models, like myself, are not capable of understanding the nuances or complexities of human experience in the same way that a human being can. Therefore, it is important to use your own judgment and discernment in crafting your message and communicating it to others. Isn't AI humble and nice? <laughs> I was shocked. It's basically saying, no, not really. It could be scary. You think about the amount of knowledge that is being leveraged through artificial intelligence in ways that it can be utilized and fed back to us that improves the execution of decisions, the development of products. It is phenomenal. And it can be scary. But I wanted to just comfort you a little bit here with a thought. Christianity has had a real struggle, maybe Western Christianity in particular, in prioritizing knowledge. Discipleship in the American church for hundreds and hundreds of years has been really designed around knowing what the Bible says. And the more you know about what it says, in a sense, the more mature you are as a Christian. Maturity as a Christian in the American church has been, in historical terms, by and large, proportionate to your knowledge of the Bible. Your knowledge of the truth. Your ability to capture systematic theology. Think about it. Think about your early days of Christianity when you engaged the community. Why didn't you talk? Why didn't you pray? Why didn't you go? Or why did you hesitate? It's always the same answer. I didn't know enough, right? At its worst, believing that simply knowing truth is the way to change. That, 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 that's, that's the worst definition of understanding what truth is about. It's not simply truth that leads to change. Being smarter about your Bible, theology, etc., cetera, is, is not what it is to be a Christian. It doesn't exclude those things, but that's not the sum total of it. In, in my humble probably premature opinion about AI, at least the language models. Unimpeded access to knowledge 
is not necessarily damaging at all to the Christian faith. It's not the end of Christianity if the truths of God become commonplace, easily accessible, and require no scholars or authorities to convey them. The most fascinating thing about feeding a sentence or two into this program and having it put back three pages of Easter was that I agreed with all of it. It was deeply scriptural, spot on, and had illustrations. <laughs> What's wrong with that? What if the truths of God became easily accessible and they were right? It could actually rejuvenate Christianity by putting the emphasis on the life of faith where it belongs, where the Easter message finds its fruition, faith at work in you. For the Christian faith to become not about, in its end, knowledge of the truth, but an application of the truth in a personal and persistent and faithful way could revolutionize Christianity. I'm not suggesting that this would all happen, that we would have that, but speaking in an extreme just to make the argument. If everyone knew everything they needed to know about God and man and sin and Jesus and justification and sanctification and eschatology, it said, sure, where would that leave us? Christianity would have to be measured not by what we do or do not know, but how we apply that knowledge through faith. What would be wrong with that? The resurrection would be proven not through the content of historical records, but by the content of your character by the content of the godly priorities in your life, the perspective that is godly and a power that is godly, that would be the definition, not the knowledge. Are you with me? Celebrate the truth of the resurrection, the truths of the gospel. But more than that, let it fuel your faith and lead to the flourishing of your life and those near you. That is the great apologetic of the New Testament, the proof of the resurrection is not facts, it's a changed life. Was Jesus born? Please do better than you did at the beginning of the service. Did he live? Did he love? Did he prove who he was? Did he lay down his life? Did he walk out of the tomb? Will you live by faith? Does he forgive you? Will you live by faith? Will it be hard? Will you live by faith? Will you live by faith? Will you... <laughs> Will change take time? Will you live by faith? Yes. Will you falter? Yes. Will you live by faith? Yes. And one day, where faith is no longer necessary, will you be complete face to face with the risen one? Yes. 
You have been crucified with Christ. You no longer live, but Christ lives in you. The life you now live in the body, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. He is risen, and by faith, so are you. Amen. Amen. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.